just like that. We're back. I don't even have to talk about our presenting sponsor because uh, my guest today hails from the land. He's actually from Mississippi, but he lives in the land where Jack Daniels is distilled. Every drop of Jack Daniels Tennessee Sour Mash whiskey is distilled in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Can you imagine that? 167 countries it's sold in, and every drop is made in that little tiny town of Lynchburg. And my guest today has had me uh, two-finger in, three-finger in uh, Jack Daniels in my glass many a times with his songs, his songwriting ability. Absolutely one of my favorite songwriters in music today and the hailing 2022 Academy of Country Music, the ACM Songwriter of the Year, Michael Hardy, a.k.a. Hardy. What's up, my brother? What's up, man? That's a hell of an introduction. That's a good one. Well, buddy, you deserve it. It's like... uh, I got to ask you this first and foremost. I got to get, I got to get this. uh, I've been thinking a lot about um, influences and inspirations and as country as you are, as country's a biscuit with the bucks and the bass and the redneckers and all of that sold out comes out. And I feel, I feel like Corey Taylor's in there. I feel Philip and Sambo's in here. I feel a little uh, Bobby Ritchie's in here with a little kid rock style. Um, you got a lot of rock influence, right? Like, am I? I wore a little Guns and Roses today. Are you an Axel fan? Do you got a little rock and roll influence in you? Yeah, definitely, man. I tell everybody. Um, I grew up, you know, in a small town, and I grew up country, but I didn't. I didn't actually listen to country till I was like eighteen, nineteen years old. Um, I like Eric Church, Brad Paisley were kind of some of the first guys that I, I started getting into country. But dude, I all I listened to growing up. Uh, you know, on the way to the deer stand or whatever was rock and roll every single day, everywhere I went, I was obsessed with it. Did, did you grow up in a rock and roll family? I mean, I mean, in, when you're from Mississippi, you're from where, what we would call the king of rock and rolls from, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, and yeah, I did. My dad, not so much my mom or my sister, but my dad, uh, I mean, he, he embedded it in my brain at a very young age he loves rock and roll and and so he he introduced me to it when i was really little so if you had a a choice right now let's go back to like you're born in 1990 you're a lot younger than me you're you're 16 years (laughs) younger than me um i grew up on good rock and roll from the 80s hair bands all the way to the end of the 80s with gnr coming out and metallica and then you get into the the whole Nirvana and that scene out of Seattle. Are, are you a fan of going that far back, or are you more of a fan of the rock and roll from the time you were born to to present day? I'm a fan of all of it, but my um, the music that was out like while I was alive, for some reason, like I'm I'm more attached to than the stuff before. But I'm a I'm a fan of all. I'm actually a really really big Pink Floyd fan. Um, and I know like all of their records pretty, pretty much like front to back. And, uh, and I, I know this is everybody else in the world, but I'm a really big Zeppelin fan too. Um, I really love Van Halen. Um, but then like, I, I, I'm a really, really big fan like to, of 90 stuff. Like Nine Inch Nails is one of my favorite bands, Deftones, Nirvana, obviously, and uh, Bush and all that stuff like that's that's because I like remember hearing that stuff on the radio when I was a kid. So like I attach my I have an emotional attachment to that. You know what I mean? Is it hard to transition from kind of that that rock and roll vibe or that, you know, you got your 90s rock, which is totally different than hair metal. And then when you get into the 2000s, you start getting into some really awesome rock and roll music again avenge sevenfold is out there and 
so many great bands. Do you find it hard to to transition Michael Hardy and, and, and write a country song? Because you've written some freaking monsters of country songs. Like I'm talking country songs that would be on 1980s, like the Hat Pack time era of country music, which is my personal favorite. And even the outlaw country days of Willie and Waylon and George Jones and Don Williams and co. You, you got a little bit of that in you. So how do you transition rock and roll influence into being so dang country? Dude, I just, I mean, I know how to speak the language because I, I, I grew up, you know, I grew up country. Like, I know, like, I, I I grew up right in it, in the middle of it. It's just, it. I had to listen to country music, I think, more to learn how to, like, sonically play it. You know what I mean? If that makes sense, like, to learn what a country music song, like, sounds like. But as far as, like, the lyrics, um, I've just always had it in me, man. I grew up, you know. I grew up in it, so I've, I've fortunately been able to. Uh, I know how to kind of navigate navigate that lyric just from growing up. Red. I got to ask you this because your lyrics are clever and they're witty. They they hit people because people are like, uh, "You've never got it on a tailgate." Like that's something that we would say to our buddies. Like that, your lyrics are so real to people that really grew up in the country. But here's the other part of your wittiness and cleverness, and I'm going into the Hicks tapes now. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm from the air of gangster rap. I'm from the air of too short and short dogs in the house and um you know rap music that really signified of where rap music is now whether it was Nas and and Biggie and all of those guys in the mid 90s or even earlier in the 80s when it was when it was NWA and Eazy-E and Dre and all of those guys coming up. When you look at the cover of Hicks tapes, I think Short Dogs in the House, the cover of that of that album. And then there's got to be some type of hip hop influence inside of you as well. Right. Yeah, man. I, I grew up, um, I loved, uh, Eminem was kind of my era. He was like, what, like hip hop. Like I, I started remembering music when I was like, it's like five, six, seven years old. Right. Like before then, like I have a few small memories of like music, but, but, and like, so, um, the song, his song, my name is came out, in 97 and i remember um riding down the road with my dad and that song came on and i was like i was like what the hell is this and it like it i had never heard hip-hop before like i specifically remember having never heard hip-hop and and so when i heard him rapping and i could like kind of understand his wordplay uh that sparked a huge interest and then from then i got into like you know nelly and and um I don't know everybody. It opened up a huge door, but dude, I I love hip hop. I don't necessarily love it today. I think a lot of it kind of sucks, and there's not. And I I'll be honest, like I, with the actual rapping part, like I don't think there's a lot of talent these days. It's just a different culture. Uh, I don't think that there's there are, but they're not commercialized. I guess you would say. Um, and you know what I'm like the mumble rap kind of deal, yeah. but uh, but like Kendrick. I mean, dude, I'm a fan of that stuff big time. I just watched the Kanye documentary, dude, and it like blew my mind and like was super inspiring. But dude, I love hip hop. I really do. Yeah, when you talk about Eminem, like I, I feel he's the best of all time lyrically, the way that he can oh, yeah. whether it's freestyle or if he writes and he puts his mind to it, like I don't know if they're I don't know even if Nas or like Eric B and Rockham, you know, Rockham is considered one of the best, or Big L, Biggie, Pac. Like you all you got that like Mount Rushmore of of rappers. I think Eminem is like a cloud floating above the Mount Rushmore of rappers, man. Dude, every and you know what's funny is I've seen like little mini docs and stuff that like everybody everybody says it. There's not a single person 
all across the board that doesn't say that Eminem's not the 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 goat. I mean, he has two. The way that he writes is like nobody has ever been able to replicate that ever. It's it's like the best. He's the best, dude. It's insane. Yeah, I think the only two people that don't think Eminem's the best of all time would be one, Jaw Rule, and two, Machine Gun Kelly. Now, I think those are the the two guys that will not give him credit. Or credit. That's what I say when I listen to Machine Gun. I'm like, you could you could do whatever you want, and you can have talent. And I'm not against it. Go get your money. Go make your money. But please do yeah. not ever call out the goat. That would be like somebody calling out Michael Jordan and saying that LeBron James is better. And I'm going to say you're absolutely out of your mind if you think LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. He's just not. And 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 that's the way it is. Is with Eminem. But um, talk to me a little bit, Hardy, about. You got your hip hop influence. You got your rock influence. Do you grow up in the church at all? Being in Mississippi with all of the with uh, that's a big part of the Bible Belt. Are are you getting gospel fed into your influences as well at a young age? You know, it's funny. I did grow up in the church. I, like I didn't miss like we didn't. You did not miss a Sunday if you were at home in my house. You know what I mean? Like you didn't. You couldn't just skip. Uh, so I did. I grew up. Uh, I went if I was in if I was in Philadelphia, Mississippi. I was in church on Sunday. Uh, you know, I kind of um, didn't like gospel that much. It didn't. It, it's hard to explain, man. And I don't mean, you know, being being that there's songs about about God. It sounds bad, but that stuff never like moved me. It never made me like tr- old traditional gospel. Never really made me feel anything. Um, but uh, there are certain stuff, certain songs, and certain you know things in the church that definitely did. But I think it, it, when it comes to like what my music, like I what I've gotten from church is like kind of like the give heaven some hell thing and like speaking that language and 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 um i don't know more about the culture of church and like what the preacher's talking about as opposed to like musical influences if that makes sense it does make sense to me but do you do i gotta ask you this do you go back home and catch shit for writing lyrics like give heaven some hell do you do you do you see the preacher from back in the day does your daddy your grandpa say oh michael chill out on the lyrics a little bit. Do you, do you catch some hell for, for writing about give heaven some hell? No, I mean, my, uh, one of my good friends was my, um, youth pastor and he and I, I just talked on the phone with him yesterday. We, uh, we're still good friends. And he's like, he's, he's like always been my, uh, my, my gauge or my meter, you know, or whatever. And he'll keep me straight. And he's never, he, he's, he loves that song, man. And, and, you know, I think as long as the message uh, helps people, you know, I, I don't, I don't think uh, God or anybody else cares if I, if I, you, you know, throw a redneck term that might be a little bit um, off, off color or whatever. But uh, no, I haven't gotten a lot of shit. I don't, I don't really go back to, uh, I don't go when I go home. I, I go home so rarely. I, it sounds bad, but I don't ever go to the church that I grew up in. Um, when I'm home, I'm usually getting up early Sunday morning and driving back to Nashville. So. Who knows, dude? I could walk up in there and they could kick me the hell out. <laughs> I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. You got to tell me this, Hardy. Uh, I've always told people, you know, whether we have a lot of mutual friends in the business with and some great songwriters, Adam Hood, Brent Cobb, guys that you've written with, guys that um, that think that you have an unbelievable talent. Um, I've always told those guys, like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you tell such an awesome story in such a short amount of time. I'm talking three to three and a half, four minutes max in most country songs. You go to college 
in Tennessee to become uh, you major in songwriting is you get a degree in songwriting. Give me a, just a quick recap or a rundown of how you teach songwriting. And can you teach me just a little bit so I can get a number one hit on the radio someday? Dude. So here's the deal. And I've said this before and I, and I have to stick by it. I will like die on this hill, but the, what they teach you about songwriting in school is more about the industry and how you don't get screwed out of publishing deals and like it's it's the the meat and potatoes of the actual major was more of the industry as opposed to the craft and there's two classes you take songwriting one and, and advanced songwriting or whatever it was and it but the class was was kind of it was just not what you would think it was would be, and I'm trying. I'm kind of trying to hold back a little bit, but but you, I learned by sitting in that class a that our professor was like, you should have a bunch of melodies that repeat themselves so that people get an earworm, and and you should you know have a structure to your rhymes so people you know can catch catch on to stuff, and but all that was such common sense to most of the people in there. It, it really came down to like when it comes to the writing, like you either got it or you don't, and you kind of you already know all the basic rules just from listening to music or you don't and what's funny is like there was a group of four or five people there's probably 20 people in a class but in that songwriting class that were great I mean that were awesome and one dude was a rock guy and he wrote these badass rock songs and then the rest were like terrible and I felt terrible for them because I'm like dude y'all like and I, this sounds bad but I was like y'all ain't gonna it's, it's not gonna work for y'all like they're they were really really bad and um I don't know. And I guess that's what the songwriting class itself just uh, didn't really, I don't know if I, if I were to go back or, or if I was like the Dean of the college, I might even just get rid of that class because you just, you either kind of have it or you don't when it comes to that. But I did learn a lot about the music industry and like stuff with like signing a publishing deal and like a lot of uh, there, I don't know. There's a lot of knowledge inside of the publishing publishing industry. And I did learn a lot about that. So I, I can definitely thank MTSU for that. That's awesome. I want to get into the, I want to get into publishing and what publishing is. Um, but as you come out with your degree out of college, you, do you have a music career going? Do you go to Nashville because you're seeking this lifestyle and this career and you're going to make your living as a songwriter and potentially someday a singer songwriter and who knows where the, where other doors will open. But is that why you went to Nashville the first time? Yes. So my sister, moved to Nashville. She's a year and a half older than me. She moved, she went to Belmont. And uh, so she was a sophomore in Belmont when I was a senior in high school and Belmont, I'm sure you're familiar, you know, Belmont, right? That's oh, yeah. the big, for anybody that doesn't know, it's the big, massive, massive. Uh, it's not population wise, but the school is huge and it looks amazing at the end of music row and it's a college and it's, and it specifies in the music industry is one of its big uh, things. So anyway, she went to Belmont and I was a senior in high school and I had picked up the guitar and started playing a little bit. And I wrote a couple songs and basically my sister said, Hey, I know you, I heard you've been writing some songs. Um, you know, there's this whole industry in Nashville based around songwriting where you can literally sign with a company and they pay you a salary to um, be a songwriter for them. And they try to get your you know songs cut by other artists. And she said, it's called, you know, a publishing deal. And, about a year later, I had written enough songs and I kind of convinced my parents. I said, I think I'm going to try to move to Nashville and get one of these publishing deals. And my mom said, well, 
the only way that we'll let you go is if you go to college up somewhere up there. And so I said, okay, so that's why I went to MTSU just in case it didn't work out. I would have a college degree of some sort, even though it wasn't songwriting. Um, but yeah, I moved to Nashville. It was very much on a whim. It was, I made the decision about two months or so before I actually moved. Um, but I moved up to be a songwriter. And at the time I did not, I did not want to be an artist or I had no intentions. I just wanted to write songs, but um, I did. My intentions were definitely to, to come up here and to be a songwriter. Do you, do you think that, <clears throat> sorry, those early days of you you get to town, talk to me about how you the stigma of nashville to me is you can't quit partying like if i'm there like there's like day drinking there's there's music everywhere there's midtown there's the gulch there's broadway there's lower broadway there's there's the scoreboard and there's the nashville palace i mean everywhere you go there's great music there's great food there's great people and there's great fun with alcohol is it hard for you being such a young, I mean, you're only 30 right now and you've already achieved all this, but when you move there, are you having a hard time fighting that urge to, to, to separate the, the work from the party? Because I'm sure that there's gotta be FOMO. If you stay in one night, you're like, dude, I got to get the losers because there's a great songwriter around going on, or there's somebody down there that might open a door for me. Was it hard to, or, or do you still fight that a little bit? No, I'm over the hump for sure. Um, I, so when, well, after I signed my publishing deal, let's, let's start there, which was like about six or seven months out of college, I signed my first publishing deal and, uh, I partied for probably 23 for about five years straight. <laughs> and it was just, it's just a part of the culture, man, when you're young and you're going to the bar and there's some publisher there that's buying your drinks and you're networking, and I, I I put that in quotes, but but it's really it's real. Like you're you're meeting people, and a part of networking is literally getting drunk with somebody and then having a story to tell the next time you run into them. You know what I mean? And then and and it could be some big writer, but uh, no. And then dude, we would we would we would party, and then we would get up. Uh, we had a I had a group of like six or eight buddies that we all had just signed publishing deals, and we would stay to mid, in Midtown till three in the morning, but our ass would be up at 10 o'clock to at our, at wherever we were going to write a song the next day. And, and it's just kind of what we did. Um, and then now, you know, Nashville has exploded in the past 10 years. Yes. But in the past five years, like ridiculous. So Midtown has changed, man. And, and, uh, it's just different now. And, um, I don't know. I kind of got, I have my crew and I have like the people that I know that I'm going to work with for the rest of my life. And a lot of being out at the bars and stuff was kind of searching for that in, in a weird way. And and so I'm over it now. I love, I love having a night every now and then and going to red door, or going wherever and, and, and just having a big night with my buddies. But uh, as far as, as doing it a lot, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of over the hump and I'm, I'm okay with it, man. I, I had my fun and I can always look back and be like, dude, I was pretty wild for about five years and, and uh, I'm out of it now. And that's, and that's fine. I've settled down a little bit. Do you think that not only that part of Nashville has changed, but what about your personal feelings on the rest of the city, the business? Like I know it's home now and I know that it's you're probably not going to make it in country <clears throat> music un unless you go there. And I'm not saying that there's careers that haven't taken off by staying in Texas or starting in Nashville and then moving back to a different state, but <clears throat> 
Stapleton's new song or his last single or whatever, Nashville, Tennessee, to me kind of says like, hey, man, like you, you're not yourself anymore. Like I, I can't be around you anymore. You've, you've built me up, but then you broke me down kind of attitude or you, you, you're just not the same person. He like, he's kind of like correlating Nashville to a love or a, or a, or a fantasy love. Do you feel the same way as these lyrics? Is this a song that you could have written or do you love the city and the business and 16th and 17th Avenue music row and everything that goes into this lifestyle in Nashville, Tennessee? Man, I, I love it, dude. I, it's all a part of everybody's, um, journey and 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 i haven't i gotta admit i have not heard that song and I'll, I'll listen to it on the way in today but um dude it's such a rite of passage to to do all that and to go through that man i love it and i think that every person um it's speaking to what you said i only know of one songwriter and it's Lori mckenna that as far as i know has never lived in nashville and she is the only person that I can think of and in the modern likes from since like the 2000s era that has never moved to town and done it and kudos to her because that's huge but um man the process of moving here and not knowing a single person and finally getting a meeting with a publisher and had that publisher telling you that you're not ready yet and getting pissed off and going back for and writing another year's worth of songs and then finally getting a publishing deal and just going through the whole grind is such a cool process when you're standing on the other side of it, looking back at how, how much you went through that. Uh, I love it, man. And I think that everybody in some form or fashion should or does go through that. And, and that's that's what I love the most about Nashville, especially obviously the music industry, that that it's a grind and everybody gets gets kicked in the teeth at least one time uh, in the in this town. And and it's a beautiful thing, man. It. it there's a there's a reason that so many people are so humble here, and it's because they've had a lot of humbling experiences. and And I love the whole process. I was going to speak on the word you just used, humility, and being humble. Were you prepared for it? With there's some lines in your new single, "Sold Out," about your last name. Were you prepared for this, Michael Hardy? Were you prepared for the success? songwriter of the year achievements at such a young age you're going to have uh, unbelievable runs as a songwriter i can already tell but mentally how did you prepare yourself was it your mom and dad and your raising were you always mentally capable of being able to shoulder that much responsibility and that much success at the same time because here comes the revenue here comes the money here comes the opportunities to buy property or houses or traveling you're getting married you got were you prepared for it or did you have to mature fast in Nashville or do you still find yourself being like, Whoa, man, I got to deflect this. I, I I can't do that right now. Is it hard for you to accept all of this at this time when it's all coming at, at, at such a fast pace? And I know that you worked your ass off to get it. And I know that you've been there for years, but looking from the outside in, everybody's like, Holy shit, Hardy's blown up. They have no idea how long and how many hours it took for when, since you moved to Nashville. You know, speaking to that, I, I do a lot of I've done interviews with with like radio people usually and they're like, Man, you kinda blew up overnight. And I'm like, No the hell I didn't, bro. I've been grinding. Um I always believed in myself, uh, and and I guess you could say manifested uh or tried to as hard as I could, like my success as a songwriter and I worked really hard at that. So so I think I've I I have been prepared for that and that part there's way less responsibility and pressure. Uh, there is some, and there's only pressure if you put it on yourself as a songwriter. So I, that part I was 
prepared for and, and have been able to handle the artist thing uh, happens so uh, fast and, and in a very weird way that it's taken me some time to adjust to that. The, the money and stuff, it's very true, like more money, more problems. And that's a real, very real thing. Um, but like that stuff is still awesome. And dude, I like the, the fact that I don't, you know, I worried about money and I was broke for so long. Um, the fact that I have a little bit of money now is like, that's a huge weight off my chest. And so that I don't worry about that too much, but the, the part that is still t- tough for me to handle on. And I think a part of me will always struggle with it is the, uh, the social weight that comes with being an artist and like, everybody knowing who you are and like everywhere you go in Nashville, not everywhere in the world or in the country, but everywhere in Nashville, somebody's always looking at you and like, like losing your, what's that word? Anonymity where like people know who you are. And, 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 and there's a little bit of an LA vibe where you kind of lose your trust when you meet new people, because you're wondering if that person is only trying to schmooze with you or be nice to you or buy you a beer because they want something from you as opposed to just genuinely being your friend. There's a lot of stuff like that that comes with, with being an artist and being like a successful artist that is still hard for me to juggle. Um, and I'm, I'll be completely honest. And a lot of people go through it, man. And that that's because I've always, you know, consider myself a very normal person. And I, I didn't have these big, dreams not that i'm not thankful i'm incredibly thankful but i didn't have these big huge aspirations to be an artist so i didn't prepare myself for it and and didn't didn't you know know that one day i you know i'm i might have to walk into freaking losers and then walk back out because people wouldn't leave me alone and that sounds bad but you you know you got to see where i'm saying where i'm going with that like i didn't really prepare for that. So that part is definitely a struggle uh, more than the songwriting. I'm just, I'm enjoying that. I'm taking the songwriting stuff in stride because I'm enjoying every minute of it. And I love the artist thing, but it's just different. It's a little bit of a struggle sometimes. With, with social media and everybody's life being out there, everybody's living their best life. You kind of are relating to this to me in a Nashville way. And I'm trying to look at it from the people that you came up with, the people that might not be at your level yet, the people that are still grinding. Do you fight that also that when you start to get up those different rungs of the ladder, have you, have you faced adversity with old friends, not being friends anymore because they're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like, where's he going all of a sudden kind of attitude it happens in every aspect of life. But do you feel that a little bit too, because of, of, of your stardom now? Definitely. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it's like, it can be awkward, I think, sometimes, you know, because we definitely had a group of of friends, um, you know, and and I'll just be honest. And if they ever hear this, they know this. I mean, there's no but but and half of us have gone on to be pretty successful and, and a few of them have have not so much. And that's just it's part of the process and it's a part of life. And there's definitely a little bit of and it shouldn't be this way. And and uh this is what like therapists and stuff like that is for, but there's a little bit of guilt and a little bit of like, why me, you know, um, depending on the person you, I have to remember that I have worked very hard and that my buddies that have also had a lot of success have also worked very hard. And there's a chance, and this is not always true, but that some of the crew maybe didn't so much, um, or, or didn't necessarily make the right decisions for their career. But yeah, dude, I struggle with that. Um, 
and to think, you know, it's tough, man, to, to, to know that seven, eight years ago that me and, you know, these 12 or 10 other dudes were in, in the same exact spot. And, and now, you know, myself and guys like Hunter Phelps, who's a really good buddy of mine, um, and Jameson Rogers, we're having a lot of success and, and, some of the guys are not, you know, it's, it's, it's tough. And, and I know that, that I've never really had this conversation with any of them, but that that's got a way on them too. And that there's always a little bit of guilt it's for some screwed up reason. There's a little bit of guilt that you carry because at the end of the day, you don't really know why it was you and not your buddies. Cause at one point you all had the same level of talent and the same drive and the same grind. So that's, that's a great question. And, and uh, there's definitely a little bit of, of struggle there. No doubt. Do you struggle with it in a way this is the last dark question, Michael. Hardy, no, you're good. I, I love this shit. But I love the idea of what you're going through. Um, do you find yourself, I use this word a lot in my personal life right now, of deflection. Um, when we started to see some success with the brands, and, and we're in, you know, in, a, in a small niche of duck hunting, you would start to hear, oh, you're the best duck hunter in the world. Oh, man, you blow the duck call. the best. And I am a master of deflection because I, I've never been able to accept those compliments because I never believed them. I've never believed that, oh, you're the guy that I look up to or my son wants to be like you or could you come to our, our, our banquet and do a seminar on hunting or the hunting industry? I've, I've become a master of deflection. Are you a good deflector, Michael Hardy? I don't like it. Um, it... And you, I think a lot of that comes with, and I'm hearing you say that. I, 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 I know that you had to have been raised to be humble, and there, there's a negative, uh, there's a downside to that, and that's not being able to uh, take compliments. You know, yeah, um, that's how I am. And uh, it's tough, man, because what do you do? You know, I, and and these days. Yeah, dude, I'll go, I'll run into somebody I hadn't seen in years and like the whole conversation is just about how proud they are of me. And I'm like, man, what about you? Yeah, can we just talk about something else, man? This is awkward. Um, You know, I I, I told you, I saw that Kanye documentary and and there was like, he he said something and there was like a little bit of truth to it, but it's being, you know, when you're a humble person, like when you grow up and your parents are like, don't brag and don't, you know, don't boast and, and, you know, always know there's somebody better than you and all the things that come with being humble uh it's it's hard to believe this but Kanye was like talking about taking compliments and and he was like you know being overconfident or or, or is is has a negative stigma but but what's wrong with somebody bragging on you and being like dude I know man I'm killing it isn't that crazy and and there's a little bit of truth to that man like it it's it comes off and I haven't been able to do that yet by the way like I don't say dude you're right I'm freaking awesome yeah. but uh but I wish that that there was a, a a little bit more positive stigma on um, accepting compliments in that way because there's nothing wrong with being proud of yourself, but it is hard, man. And my fiance makes fun of me because when somebody comes up and do, does that, my safety net is I start like playing with my uh, elbow, and I'm like, yeah, man, I appreciate it. And she always knows that's when I'm uncomfortable. Like in a conversation like that, is when somebody when I start like playing with my elbow. Uh, oh, dude, that's dude. so funny because people tell me I start messing with my lips. I'll start like doing fish lips and like duck faces and stuff. And they're like, why are you getting so uncomfortable? I'm like, dude, I'm getting like sweaty. Like, and it's what you say is like Hardy walks into the room and everybody's like, hey, Hardy, what'd you do last week? And if you don't say anything, 
you're the arrogant guy that won't talk to anybody. But if you do say something, the spotlight's on you for the next 45 minutes to an hour, and the whole night turns out about Hardy. So it's like this fine balance of, like, how do I stay away from being the quiet guy that doesn't want to come off like he's too good to talk to anybody, but he knows that if he talks and says, hey, this is what I did for the last five days or 10 days. I was out on tour. I did this. I sold this arena out. I did all this stuff. People are going to be like, oh, my God, my life is, like, I don't even compare to that. It's like a weird thing to accept on how far you go and how much you say. No, you're right. And and it's so that I only have like a few buddies that like, if I get in my comfort zone, I'm like, dude, listen to what we did last week. You know what I mean? Cause I yeah. wouldn't, I couldn't do that with a stranger. Cause you don't want to like, it's like big league in them or you don't want to come off like hockey or like, like I just played Augusta last week or a couple weeks ago with like the freaking Manning brothers, dude. And I didn't want to tell anybody about it. Cause I, it, I didn't want it to come off like braggy or like to, like you said, like to make it make somebody be like, well, shit, I didn't do shit last week. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's interesting, man. It's, it, there's a lot of psychology that goes behind that. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to accept it other than just to say, yeah, well, I'm just really fortunate. And I am, you know, but that's, that's, that's just my response. Usually. Hey, people have always talked, took the psychology part to the other end of the spectrum, bro. It's always the, the, the people that are trying to climb out of darkness, but the people that seem like they have no darkness that have the world by the balls. Those are the people. There's a song that, I mean, I'm sure you're good friends with Jamie Johnson. I love Jamie to death and I don't know who wrote the song, but, and he might've been a songwriter on it, but it's, it's, it's lonely. It's lonely at the top, but a bitch at the bottom. It's at the bottom. Yeah. It's a great analogy of what we're talking about right now, that when you get to the top, you almost become lonelier, even though everybody wants to hang out with you. It's a freaking crazy way that our brain works and our psyche, man. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, what I'm learning. And, uh, I do go to therapy unapologetically go to therapy because it I, and not, I don't have mental issues or anything, but I need somebody to tell me like some stuff is okay and that kind of stuff. And uh, my biggest thing is, is that I've taken away is that you have to have your core of people around you that like for me that know me as Michael and I'm always Michael and not, um, you know, just hardy and, and you have to have like that crew around you you have to have people that are going to make you feel normal and that will tell you no and that will put you in their, your place and stuff like that or you will get lonely man cuz does it does around- it help does it ever I'm not cut, trying to cut you off but you no, brought up good. a good point there when you're out on the road you are capital H A R D Y all capitals yeah. crowds yeah. going nuts green rooms catering freaking massage whatever the freak you want but when you get home, you're just Michael Hardy. Does that bug you a little bit? Did, did that take some time off you? or did Because the, 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 the mature person says, I can't wait for that. I loan for that. But then we get back home and we get back in that sequence of just being Michael Hardy. And it only takes about 36 hours. That, that itch is scratched. And now we're ready to get back to the momentum and the culture of, of being capital H-A-R-D-Y. Does that ring true with you? It does. When I'm on the road, I deal with it the best because I'm, you know, whether some people don't say it is or not, but I'm at work, you know what I mean? And when you're out there, you're, I'm on and I am, I'm hardy on the road. When I start struggling with it is again, when I go to a bar or I go somewhere where I just want to be Michael, you know, and, um, and you run into a group of people and I, dude, I will take a picture with anybody. I'll have a conversation with anybody, but there's just times where I want to just be me, I want to be myself and that, and you're being forced to turn it back on maybe in times where you don't really want to, when you need a break from your art, from your 
artist and and uh sometimes you just don't get that and uh it's, again it's part of it but i struggle with it mostly coming back into town and going in a social setting where i'm expected to be hardy and i just want to be michael you know do you i know that we're coming to an end and i know that you have an unbelievable busy schedule i want to first and foremost thank you for coming on i can't wait to do this again with you i truly appreciate your talent and respect your career and what you're doing it's freaking i i honestly think that if i had start a music playing, we'll start playing with my, my elbow and i think yeah i think you will and i think that if i had a music career it'd be along the same lines because i wouldn't know where to go i mean i got all these different influences in my life and i think the way that you've transversed that into your lyrics and country music is so badass but i i gotta i gotta ask you like when, when you're sitting here right now and you see where 2022 is going and, and, and the places that you've been playing, the crowds that you've been engaging, do you get inspiration more so from the high positive energy or do you like to sit in a dark room once in a while and just lay there and get inspiration from the darkness and the sadness to write a song? <clears throat> Could you write a song from today's conversation, not from us talking, but on those kind of related items? Definitely. And honestly, it's both, man. Um, I I feel like I have two modes as an artist and uh it I to put it in perspective there is like boots mode and there's a rock mode um like the two songs and and so I I get them from both like uh, there's times where we're in a room writing and if we're on that idea where my head is like this is going to go over great live how can we make this pop as much as it possibly can live and then we write that song to that I that you know idea that day. But then there are times where, uh, like, I wrote a song by myself in the basement the other day, and it's a, it's it comes from a more uh, not dark darker place, but it's it's more of the songwriter place and the more like I guess you would say in my feels place. So it really it's right down the middle, and I love both of them. Honestly, I love writing a perspective, dark or like just interesting song from a very quiet in your head place but i also love writing the like live like the songs that are going to bang live you know i love it jack daniels hot seat three questions it's a summer day what adult beverage are you reaching for a cold beer or a cocktail cold beer definitely if you have your choice your fiance and you were going out to a dinner you both are starving do you talk her into a backyard on the deck elk vent uh, elk backstrap off of the traeger or are you going to a sushi bar flavor flavor wise Ooh, <laughs> that's a tough one for me too. Oh brother. no, dude, it would be split down the middle. But if it was up to me, I'm cooking a steak or a deer burger or something. No doubt. I love sushi though. We got to go get sushi dude, sometime. I do too, man. I got some. I got some some hole in the wall spots. We'll have to go to sometime. Yeah, and if you ever come out my way, if you play out here, I'll take you. Uh, I'll take you out here. La last one. If you if you had it right now for to write one song for the rest of your life with somebody that you've never written with. And I, cause it'd be easy for you to say, well, I've had some success with this guy, but is there somebody out there that you earn that you, you that you really want to write with that you have not yet? Are you church. even allowed to talk about that? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, it would be Eric church and we've bounced ideas off of each other, but I've never gotten to sit in the room and write with him. And I would love that. Eric church. He's one of the greatest. Yeah. God, he's written some good stuff. Michael Hardy, congratulations on the career. I can't wait to have you back on This Life Ain't For Everybody. Any ending thoughts, my man? Dude, thank you. Dude, I, you have no idea how refreshing a real interview like this or, or conversation is like this as opposed to just going through the motions and talking about God's country and blah, 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 and this and that. It's, it's nice to, to have a real conversation, so I appreciate that more than you know, man.
Well, I appreciate you. Let's do it again, not just here, but let's do it in duck camp someday or over sushi. I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. And please stay safe. Tell your fiance hello. I had a heck of a time with you too that night at the uh, little Valentine's Day shindig. Me too, man. I had a blast and and, uh, I would love to do it again. Let's go hunting. Yeah, brother. Can't wait to see you, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Later. That's Michael Hardy. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Okay, Hardy, before you leave me, and yep. I know publishing's a big deal. We did not even get into it. We got to go next time. But can we please go out with a Hardy song? Oh, hell yeah. Which one do you want? Which one? Can I pick? Yeah, of course you can. Oh, man, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of all of them. But I got I to gotta go with the way that I'm feeling this morning because I'm getting ready to go out and get on a fly rod and fish. This is Rednecker. Let's go. Rednecker than you. This song is freaking awesome. Hardy, Rednecker. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening. My town's smaller than your town. Got a bigger